Hello, it's Jack Tudor here of Attention Magazine. Welcome to Crucial Listening, the podcast where I speak with musicians and sound artists about three albums that are important to them. My guest this time is Ami Dang, a South Asian-American vocalist, sitarist, composer and producer from Baltimore. Ami's new album, The Living World's Demands, is out in November, a co-release by Phantom Limb and Leaving Records. I think the most striking thing about it is this combination of vibrancy and brightness that kind of mirrors the cover art of this record but also emotional ambiguity you get the sense of this album being something monumental but not really being sure how to feel about it that fraughtness is so much fun to unpick i mean the most obvious element is Ami's voice this astonishing thing that swoops and poises and holds a lot of the forefront during this record But then you have these punctuating elements, these electronics, these rhythms and the sitar, which between them imply these shapes, which you almost want to try and decipher. There's a lot of melody, but also as we talk about in this conversation, there's a sense of something structured, which is either falling apart or just barely hanging together. I love it. You want to go back to this again and again and just see if your perception changes. I've certainly felt certain songs generate a different imprint in different spaces. So I hope you do too. I'll include links to the record in the show notes and on Attention Magazine. And if you've been enjoying the show, firstly, thank you so much for telling me. I've had some emails recently from people who say they've been really connecting with the podcast. That fills me up. It's really nice to know that people are enjoying it. Uh, you can also support the show on coffee ko-fi.com forward slash crucial listening where you can give either a one-off or monthly donation of any amount of your choosing to support the costs involved in hosting the podcast and the energy exerted in putting it together hope you enjoy this conversation this was a real fun one with Ami really enjoyed the three records that she picked and like I say thoroughly recommend checking out her new one okay without any further ado this is Ami Dang on Crucial Listening. Welcome to Crucial Listening. Hi, Jack. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for coming on the podcast. So you're here to talk about three important albums. Um, before we get into those, I want to talk about your upcoming album, The Living World's Demands, which is dropping later this year. So in a previous interview, you mentioned that each album starts with a particular idea or theme. So if that's true, or that's still true, rather... Um, what were the first elements of this album to come together for you? Sure. Well, it's a little hard to describe. This album was kind of, it's been a really long time in the works. Um, there are a few songs in here that I started 
before my last two albums. <laughs> oh, wow. Right. That were, yeah, that were reproduced a number of times. And, you know, I kind of, I didn't feel like the songs were right. So I put them aside and then revisited them years later. And, I, and I'm glad I actually did that because I think in those early, those early versions, I wasn't, they just weren't ready. Right. So, hmm. Um, and there were also other songs that I think were supposed to be part of this collection that got chopped, right? That just happens. Mm -hmm. um, I think, you know, anybody who makes art in of any medium, you know, you try stuff out. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. It's not the right time or, oh yeah, it's just not the right piece. So, um, yeah, I think this is like, yeah, an album that in some ways has been a really long time coming and that I wanted to create an album of, of songs kind of, they tend to be more like ballads, like mid, mid tempo or, or slower songs um, hmm. that touch on various loose, I would say loosely political themes, um, right. sort of my reaction to from uh, against in some ways the, you know, the world around me I'm trying to think of which, which songs came probably the oldest track on this is uh, called Santuman. It's, it's called unstruck sound is sort of the name I've been using, but it's um, a sick hymn. The first line is Santuman Bavne Sukhbania. Um, and that it's a, it's a sick hymn that I took, uh, or I should say the, it's from the, the scripture. It's a, I took the scripture. I wrote the melody to create, to make it a hymn and then, produced it with electronic music. Um, and that was one of the ones that got reproduced a number of times to sort of uh, get it to where it is now. Um, mm. But that, and that song in particular is a bit about just achieving a, a it's, it's a, about achieving a, a peaceful state of mind. And so I, I also wanted to kind of throw in a, so a song like this one. And there are, there's an, a couple ambient tracks on there without any vocals that are more with uh, where the sitar is kind of the lead, um, the lead musical voice. Uh, but those songs are sort of, I think also to remind us that in order to be human, sometimes we have to stay, take a step away from the over, you know, from, from the demands of the world, from the, mm. you know, from what's going on around us. Um, and also just try and live in this very tumultuous place, um, right. the best that we can and find that kind of inner peace the best that we can. So, um, yeah, that was, that was one of the early pieces. And then, um, a muted crime was also an early piece that is really the, the song was kind of uh, written actually I start I think I started that song kind of before the, the Me Too movement and it was um originally a song about sort of trying to empower survivors of intimate partner violence but I think you know moving forward in time in some ways in the U.S. in particular are are um with with you know this change in reproductive mm. health rights access to abortion um to me that the, the meaning of that song in some ways has changed so much because we're dealing with so many issues around bodily control of women's bodies um of of bodies of of various genders um you know there's just so much of a now we're, we're living in this even more deeply polarized world um and and dealing with a lot of lash against lash back against that so um yeah a lot of these songs have have kind of um taken a lot of inspiration from not just 
current politics as in this year, but really going back the last decade, mm. I'd say. Um, so I wrote the song Balna during the pandemic. That was very early pandemic. So I wrote that in March 2020. And it was really just a, a response to feeling like everything was crumbling around us and um, not really feeling very unsure about what the future was going to hold. So that was sort of uh, related to the pandemic, also related to the state of, you know, our climate, of course. Um, that song is kind of just, yeah, literally speaking about the world burning and in some ways a nihilistic viewpoint that, you know, maybe we just need to let it all crumble before we can be killed. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so a little bit of my, uh, my glasses. Ha- I'm, I'm not always the glasses half empty people at person. Actually, if you meet me, most people think I'm very sunny and charismatic, and, um, <laughs> but um, I do have, I think, a de- some deep, uh, negativity, I guess. Right, right, yeah. Um, yeah, and and just like, yeah, you know, I think so many people in this world are suffering, and mm-hmm. and we're not making it better. We're not making it a better place. I don't, I don't actually see that happening that often, sadly. No. So I think a lot of these songs are really a response to that all all the ways in which we're suffering as human beings. Sorry to be so down no but you know um, and betting on the bull is very much kind of a response about to the wealth gap um hmm. and just kind of witnessing and i also wrote that song in the pandemic and witnessing how many people just sort of turn the other way to to the problems you know people who are particularly you know the, the top one percent um just really were profiting off of the pandemic and kind of turning the other way um Mm -hmm. with with regards to people suffering um whether that was like you know there was there's obviously covid happening but also just people who are out of work right like people who work in person Mm -hmm. um who had who have like you know essential worker jobs and and were really either out of work or incredibly stressed and and um their jobs became incredibly difficult during the pandemic and yet so many people profited off of that um mm-hmm. you know so that song is a reaction to that um so yeah it kind of that kind of goes goes from there um yeah wow so you've already cited a number of variables which must have come into play while you're putting this record together over such an expanse of time like mm-hmm. i'm not surprised to hear that it was reassembled and broken down and built back up as you know everything shifts around you but also in amongst all of that you had in 2020 your meditations mixtape so mm-hmm. i was wondering whether or not having that out into the world and expressing i guess at least some of where you were at that time informed at all what you wanted to then put into the new record like was there anything about the meditations mixtape which you know once that was out there you thought okay now i can divert this energy into the living world's demands yeah sure i mean i think something that's really important for me and has always been important to me is sort of not to get pigeonholed as a new age artist (laughs) right so yeah just i mean i'll just start there I, yeah, because I mean, I play the sitar, I combine with electronics, you know, I, but I, I really cringe when people talk like using the term new age, because I'm very critical of, you know, that whole movement and, um, the cultural appropriation that, you know, Mm -hmm. has 
been such a huge, you know, that that whole movement has a, uh, appropriated not just Indian culture, but so many different global cultures, um, whether or not it's, I mean, Indian culture is actually one of the few that are sort of recognized, right, in the practice of yoga, for example. But, yeah. um, you know, there's tons of New Age music that uses, like, indigenous flutes, for example, and, like, you know, and, and there's other, pra- you know, rituals or, you know, that other people people may, you know, may or may not um may use and and practice that aren't even acknowledging their roots so i'm i'm very i i think when um parted planes came out and then i put out meditations um i i really like to try and try and i guess promote the idea that i i feel like yes some of my music is ambient music and um my music can absolutely be tied to the practice of healing Mm. and and can be part of something where um, you know, we like meditations really was about trying to find moments of peace and, and healing. Um, and there's certainly aspects of this album that also attempt to do that. Like I was saying with Santuman, the, um, unstruck sound track, um, and also, um, a windy mind is sort of the, the prologue to, to, um, unstruck sound. So it's sort of the windy mind is sort of like this feeling of, of getting lost in the chaos. And then, with unstruck sound, we sort of find inner peace or we're sort of searching and, and achieve some of that. Right. Mm. Um, but yeah, with meditations, um, I really enjoyed the process of just creating healing music for, for the sake of, of that. Um, but I also am very, it, it's not, I don't, I haven't always made ambient music. I've made experimental kind of indie pop or psych pop or whatever you want to call it for a long time. And I've, and you know, a lot of that inspiration just comes from me enjoying pop music and enjoying, you know, dance music. Um, yeah, because I like those things. And so, um, I really, I didn't want to put out another album, I think right away that could be, that would really firmly put me into that new age genre. Um, But anyway, I'm not going to even use that term anymore. <laughs> and I think people need to stop using it unless yeah. unless you identify with it. If you identify with it, fine, use it. But if you if an artist doesn't identify with that, then you know, um, yeah. yeah. So yeah, and so and like I mentioned too, this this album, I actually like yeah, it started working on some of these songs long before Parted Planes, long before 2019, or the you know Parted Planes. I was kind of working on that one in 2018. So some of these songs were started before then. And I think like the approach to this album, like I, like I was saying, I have a few other songs I tossed out that I had started working on at that time, but it was, but they were all sort of along this theme of sort of being kind of avant indie pop, you know, experimental, but more song driven um, Mm. that are also responsive to to what was happening in the world and sort of thinking um, more broadly about humanity and and politics. Um, But yeah, so that, so this, yeah, it's been, it's been a long time coming, I think. (laughs) Yeah. It's it's such a good record. I'll I'll put a link in the show notes. I've been having a great time with it. I think also as well to hear you talk about that ambiguous, kind of relationship I guess between crushing despair and needing to look after yourself and persist yeah um yeah that push pull is very present within the record and super resonant yeah. so yeah um yeah I really tried to do that through the production through mm. yeah through the vocals and everything yeah it's a thorough Wicked. Um, I could ask you a billion questions on this one. <laughs> I'll let, let people listen to it. And um, yeah, we should talk about your three important records, Ami. So 
Great. One question I like to ask at the top is how you thought about the word important. I mean, was there a way that you understood that word in order to come up with a list of records that you did? I, I you know, I, I read the prompt and, you know, I got, I got an email for those of you out there, you know, got, got an email that says, oh, you know, Jack from Crystal Listening would love to interview you. Here's the prompt, right? So important records. I read the prompt and honestly, I just thought, okay, three, for me, it was maybe less important, but impressionable. Sure, right, um, right. Yeah, which is, you know, maybe not exactly the same thing, but certainly synonymous. Yeah. So um, I just thought about albums I really listened to also as albums, because there's a difference between asking somebody for tracks that were mm-hmm. important to them um, or formative to them versus albums. Um, and, you know, and I've definitely had experiences where a specific song has been you know, on repeat in my life or something like that. But these were, these are all albums I think I listened to as albums kind of over and over again. And, or also like had, uh, have like really specific memories um, tied to them or, or music I listened to at specific um, turning points in my life, some of them. Mm. Um, and yeah, so I can, yeah, should I just jump in to, yeah, you, you, yeah. No, great answer. Yeah, let's let's go for whichever one feels right to talk about first. Yeah, sure. So I guess I'll 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 do this. I guess in chronological order, more or less. I would uh-huh. say. So the first, um, the the album that is probably the earliest is uh, the soundtrack of a an Indian film, and it's not really a Bollywood film. It's actually more of an art film called Sardari Begum. Uh, and that's a film that is kind of a, it's, it's a, it's a narrative fictional film, but it's a biopic about a singer, this woman who is a singer and, um, in her life, she, she sort of, she pursued her art from a young age and as a result was turned away. Like she was, um, not supported by her family. So she kind of led, led this life where she chose her own path and, left her family behind. Um, and I actually didn't see the movie until I was an adult, but this, but my mom saw the movie when I was a child, I was probably middle school age. So er, very early teen or tween. And my mom used to just play this album in the car all the time. Wow! So I grew up, yeah, I grew up in the suburbs of Baltimore and, um, you know, <laughs> sitting in the car in, in the U.S. when you grew up in the suburbs was like a pretty big part of uh, growing up because <laughs> we just <laughs> had to drive. We drove far distances. My mom's, um, my my school was kind of far away. My parents' work was kind of far away. Um, so that you know, and this is the uh, this is the '90s where I think my mom might have had like maybe she had a six CD player in her car and nice. she she had yeah so she had you know there was a few cds that were always on deck and this was one of the albums that she played all the time and she sang along all the time <laughs> and so i just have so many memories of being a kid you know and hearing this music hearing her voice sing along actually quite a bit which she actually she's a beautiful voice she's not a trained musician in any way she never she loves music but um she just sort of considers herself a, you know, one who sings the shower kind of person. <laughs> yeah. um, but she used to sing along to this, to this soundtrack. Um, and it's just a beautiful, th- these songs are just beautiful um, 
kind of classically rooted Indian, you know, rooted in Indian classical music. Um, so like I said, not really of the Bollywood style hmm. um, or, or sort of contemporary Bollywood, I should say, because actually early Bollywood was very much, um, you know, classically rooted. But um, I didn't see this movie until much later in life. And then I actually really, I mean, the movie is also just so beautiful. The film describes, you know, like I said, this, this woman's journey on to like really pursue her work um, against all odds. And I think I also just really resonate with that, you know, and that's still, it's still a delight. Even, even as someone who's released a number of albums, it's always, it's still a dilemma, you know, like, do, why am I doing this? Do I really want to do this? It's really hard work. You know, like, um, <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I have not had the experience of my family, you know, flat out rejecting me, but it, it was definitely tumultuous, you know, when I, um, wanted to, when I wanted to make music and go on tour and um, do that kind of stuff, my family early on was not very supportive, you know, they, they, mm. or let's say, just say they expressed concern, you know? <laughs> um, so, but um, yeah, so, so yeah, just a, just a beautiful film and, and a lot of, I just have, yeah. I mean, I think just that memory of me kind of being a sad tween or teen <laughs> hearing it hearing it all, all, all the time but the songs are so beautiful so yeah 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 did you like them straight away like well i say that i mean it's one of those things isn't it where the albums that are on in your parents car are like right. almost like the car itself maybe it's hard to critique them necessarily but uh do you yeah do you remember enjoying when you were driving around given you were listening to it so much as well um, yeah, I did it? at the time. I think, be yeah, I did. I did. And I didn't like everything my parents played, but I did like this album. Yeah. Mm, yeah. And that experience of going to see the film finally in your adult life blows my mind to suddenly see the visual counterpart to this yeah. record you know so well. So, I mean, how yeah. did you end up finally seeing the film? I think I just realized it was like on Netflix or on one, some platform. Yeah, not a plug, not a plug for any particular <laughs> platform, <laughs> but it was on something and I just came across it and was like, oh, I never saw this movie. I should mm. just watch it. Yeah. Wow. What was it like just suddenly seeing it aligned with, I mean, because obviously I, I, I don't yeah. know what the lyrics are about, but uh, was it, is the story evident from the lyrics? Do you have any idea what the story was about prior to going into watching no, the film? Not to me, because I, I don't, I'm, I'm not even sure if the lyrics are probably, they're probably some, some are in Urdu, um, but I don't, you know, I didn't understand all the lyrics as a kid. Right. My mom kind of told me about it a little bit. Um, and there's, there's definitely, there's a song where there's like, a, it's like a mother daughter duet. I think her, um, or sorry, not a mother daughter, like her and her mentor, her teacher. Mm. Um, so there's two, two female voices. So I, I knew very little about the film. Um, but, but no, I, yeah, I didn't really know the story because I don't understand or, or what, right. you know, I think right. it's, yeah. Uh, is it something that you listen to now? Not really. Mm. No. I mean, yeah, I, yeah, yeah I, it, it came to mind when, when you reached out, but I, yeah, so I kind of, and I re-listened to some of the songs after a long time, but mm. um, no, not really. No, fair. I mean, it strikes me like one of those records that I had playing in my parents' car where 
I honestly think there's well a lot of parents don't know where the eject button is on a CD player because I only have like <laughs> memories of like one or two yeah. <laughs> car records. It's in you know so stubborn with those those records, but um, there's a lot that I don't need to play because I'm like it's almost futile. I can revive it from memory almost exactly. There's no impulse there to revisit. Yeah, it's it's we're, we're living in such a different time where you can just choose to listen to you could listen to music and never listen to the same thing again right yeah and so and it's yeah i think uh whereas yeah back, you know back at this and what you're mentioning and what i've experienced like yeah there's it was so it was so normal to hear either a song or an album over and over again or, or the same handful of albums or whatever um yeah and i'm sure some people still do that but you know but it's it, we're living in such a different time where you don't have to do that or you know, I, I remember like going, you know, going to a store to buy CDs and buying like and you being like, OK, I have twenty dollars. I'm going to buy two CDs. Yeah. And these yeah. were just like the thing I listened to for a few weeks. Right. Like the most precious process. That process resulted in this like precious treatment of these two albums. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. Which we don't quite have that. I mean, if, if you buy vinyl, I think there is that you, you might have that relationship to albums, but. Um, I think that the vast means, you know, majority of people really don't anymore. No, the idea mm -hmm. of £10 equating to one unit of music is yeah. <laughs> pretty mind-blowing, <laughs> I think, in 2022. Yeah. Uh, so you mentioned that these records, you know, in some sense, they're in, they, they made an impression on you. So you <clears> talked <throat> a bit about the, you know, the, the, the fact that the story of the film has parallels. This is one that's kind of baked into your memories of driving around in Baltimore as a kid. But there are other ways in which yeah. this record has made an impression on you that you can feel now. I, I mean, I'm sure it's all, all of my, at the time I was learning music, I was taking voice lessons. I was taking sitar lessons as a kid. Um, so, you know, this, I think the style, you know, hearing Indian classical music, hearing the kind of the very, a very traditional Indian classical voice definitely affected me, whether, you know, in some ways, even probably subconsciously more than consciously. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's just beautiful. All the, like the melisma, I mean, the, the style of the voice of the, the vocals is, it's just really beautiful and very representative of a traditional Indian classical style but yet was associated with, with a film and which, which, you know, on the other hand, that wasn't really the case that much in the nineties whereas Bollywood was, you know, but a lot of music coming out of India was film, film music that was very like at that time, contemporary, very sort of more Bollywood pop. Right. So yeah. that style of music is very different than this. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I like that. I watched a few scenes from this, but there's a lot of unadorned shots of someone playing or singing mm -hmm. uh, with without little to kind of try and visually justify it right just kind of lets it do the hard work um which i guess relates to you saying it's more of an art piece than mm -hmm. you know, a bollywood piece yeah it's lovely definitely yeah i recommend if anybody's interested in seeing the movie it's really interesting really beautiful piece Okay. Mm -hmm. 
Okay, Army, let's go to your um, second important record. So which one have you yeah, got now? Sure. So I think I, the, the next two were kind of, I think I listened to around the same time, but maybe the Portishead album coming before. Um, so the other album I chose was Portishead's album Third that mm. came out, I think, in 2007, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, um, 2008, I think. Eight? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so I, you know, and I had followed, I had followed Portishead before and and listened to some of their earlier work, but probably not really listened. I probably just heard the singles, not so much the whole albums. Hmm. Um, and this just, I think this came out at a time for me when I was still trying to figure out, you know, just, it's like I was in my early twenties, sort of like a little, feeling a little lost, feeling a little uncertain. And I remember I think I was playing shows, maybe I was on tour at that point. It was still, yeah, if it was 2008, actually, it was probably when I, around the time I was first starting to play solo. And a friend of mine who lives in Washington State, so I wasn't in Baltimore, um, but I, I must have been traveling. Yeah, I was traveling. That's what it was. Uh, visited a friend of mine. He was like, oh, I just got this album. It's really good. Let's listen to it. And I was just like completely entranced. Um, yeah, just, I mean, all of the songs, I, I have a really hard time choosing like my favorite song on this album, which is why I think it was a perfect thing for me to pick as like an, an quote unquote important album to me. Mm. Um, and I, and I think that it was in the summer of 2008 that I was introduced to this album. And I think I just listened to it ad nauseum. And at the time, <laughs> yeah. Um, at the time, I, yeah, I was still sort of in this place. I didn't really know if I wanted to just pursue art making and, and, you know, performing and, or kind of pursue something more academic. I was, I remember thinking about getting um, a master's degree at the time, but I didn't, I didn't end up going back to school to do any kind of master's degree. But at the time I remember debating that. Um, so for me personally, it was just a very um, kind of impressionable time and a sort of time I was, I don't know, just kind of full of doubt in some way right. <laughs> or, yeah. or and, and uncomfortable. I think we can be full of, I, I, I guess I should say like, I think we can like, you know, a lot of us experience this kind of indecision or doubt, or you're kind of trying to figure things out. And the, the way I think of it is like that kind of follows you throughout your whole life. But um, yeah. there's a, there's a matter of discomfort or comfort. Like right now, I sure I experience a lot of doubt, but uh, I'm more comfortable with the feeling. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, I've just been like, okay, this is how life is. Right. Whereas at that time I had just you know, was kind of trying to decide like, oh, do I want to live wherever? Um, I was living in Baltimore at the time. I, I had lived in New York very briefly. Should I move to New York? Should, should I try to go to university or should I, you know, am I making music? Should I play shows? Should, you know, what should I do? Um, but this album is just, um, I think it, it's just a really, like the songs are written really beautifully. The production is really interesting to me because it's very, contemporary and modern yet also uses a, t a lot of analog elements they're using mm. synthesizers and um yeah i don't know if it's i don't know what people call i mean that's like portishead it's you know trip hop post rock whatever experimental rock bands you know they're huge they're famous uh <laughs> but it's a great it's a great album and every time i listen to it even now i feel like it's just a really good album yeah um, yeah 
so you mentioned hearing this at a time where you're feeling pretty impressionable. Would you say on the cusp of like your your twenties, early twenties? Yeah. Right? yeah, 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 early twenties. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that feels familiar. Um, yeah, I think I had this record on around that time as well. Yeah. Um, <laughs> did this record like? clarify anything for you at that time did it just resonate with you at that time i i I imagine there may have been quite a lot of music kicking around for you then i mean maybe not played as much as this one but what is it about this record and this time which totally makes it pertinent now yeah i think thinking about this record um it sort of gives you know, it's an ex- example of a of a really contemporary record where it's pop music in the sense that it's not classical, but it's not, I mean, not to say that it's like pop pop, um, hmm. but in that at the time I was making like harsh, not harsh noise music, but I was sort of more in the noise scene and playing really abstract, non-linear music um and i had a lot of i I went to school i went to conservatory of music i studied um in a electronic media and composition focused program so um a lot of my peers were you know very firmly rooted in the contemporary classical world and i think this album is a really good example of music that is song driven but still has really interesting and sort of provocative sonic elements and that's yeah. something that has been really an ongoing or sort of driving force in my music or that or that I've, I've been aspiring to create at least i think kind of coming into it now more with this album that i'm about to put out but um it's coming out in november but um yeah so i think sonically for me it's just like this album sort of gives you permission maybe it gave me permission to to write songs with you know, with like production that is still sort of um, sometimes dissonant, sometimes noisy. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's this, you know, I mean, um, I'm like totally spacing on um, the singer in Carter's head, Beth, Beth Gibbons, right? Yes, so exactly. Beth, like Beth, like beautiful, just voice that soprano, like kind of sailing above all of it, um, and. Yeah, I think in some way, I'm sure that this album kind of influenced my desire to write music that is melodic and yet still involves a lot of more non-tonal elements. Mm. Yeah, sure. I feel Mm. like the songs feel like they're falling apart on this one or about Mm. to, some more than others. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm intrigued because one track I'd totally forgotten about and then it came up and I was like, oh, blimey, yeah. And I remember being a bit fraught about it at the time. And then I read recently that the band also were in, had a bit of a clash about it, but it's Deep Water, mm. the ukulele one. Yeah. Where does that one sit with you? Yeah, that, yeah, I also, I would agree with you that I'm, <laughs> I feel lukewarm about it. Yeah. Right. But right. I think also that's what's really special about this as an album is that mm. all the songs, they're not trying like, and I, I guess this is something that's important to me when I make music and is very evident in my album that's coming up soon. Like, you can't, I don't really care about putting every song being in a specific genre or being of a specific style mm-hmm. um, when I'm thinking about an album as a collection of work. Um, and I, I like that they, 
yeah, kind of disregard that. But by, I think by including deep water, you know. Yeah, I think so. It's, it also is kind of apt that they made themselves uncomfortable in including it. But, yeah. Um, yeah. It, I mean, it also reminds me of the, or feels emblematic of the thing that I find with this record, where things within their context context sound totally warped. That could be a lovely little ditty out on its own, mm-hmm. but wedged in the middle of this record, right. I don't trust it an inch. There's something mm. <laughs> that feels like mm-hmm. it's about to give way to something horrid. There's also like lyrical lines, I can't remember the track, but where Beth sings, I don't know what I've done to deserve you, which could yeah. be really sweet, but she sounds absolutely despairing about not yes. being able to haul it up, right? So um, yeah. are you someone who connects with lyricism? Uh, and if so, does this record resonate in that way at all? You know, I I mean, it's like I do and I don't. It's funny because I think I don't even know how much I... I, so this this goes back a little bit, I think, to being a kid, getting CDs, and there, there's, like, lyric booklets in the CDs, and I definitely, like, had periods of time, read, you know, singing along to mm. albums with the li- little lyric booklet. Um, but I didn't do that. Like, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, other, other albums that shall not be named. But anyway. Um, but I didn't do that with this record so i feel like there's probably i mean there's some lyrics that are you definitely can tell which you know beth is singing but um there are probably lyrics i just made up and sang whatever <laughs> yeah. I, thought, I thought they were singing yeah but um i mean i think that's something that's really special about music in general and and to me is like it's both like wonderful and terrifying as an artist that when you create something there's this you know, you're working on an album, it's just something that you're working on, maybe with other people, maybe not. And then all of a sudden, there's this point that it becomes public, and it it doesn't, it's not yours anymore. Yes, totally. And, but I think that, you know, it's like, like I said, it's it's kind of terrifying for me as an artist, but also, as someone who loves music, and and I understand that, that that relationship, that's just the nature of art that is released out into the world, that that you as as the artist like you can't you don't you can't have any control have total control over how people interpret it and engage with it but that's also really wonderful you mentioned uh deep water a bit i know you say you don't have like a favorite track i can totally see that with this one are there any that when you think through the record now that kind of protrude for you is just like really knocking you back is it all of them Maybe the rip. Yeah. Um, I mean, Machine Gun is the single, and that song is just is amazing. It's it's also probably the song that has like the noisy, like that has this noisy kind of analog um, production to it. Hmm. Small is really good. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> like, they're all really good songs. Yeah. Oh, we carry on. I remember listening to that on repeat. <laughs> so, yeah. 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 That's a good one. Have you um, checked out Jeff's band Beak as well? That feels like a perpetuation. Yeah. I should. Mm, It's like that Krautrock thread um, brought out if we carry on and then just turned into an entire band. So it might be your thing. I mean, yeah. Ah, cool. I had no idea. Yeah. And I guess also one thing, like to give some context, I mean, part of side, we're definitely very big in the US, but way bigger in the UK and Europe. 
so they're still considered i think a, a lot of artists who are like their contemporaries and who are you know i'm thinking you know i'm thinking of like late 90s trip hop bands and other things like other bands in that kind of community that were huge and like mass like mass attack and um others that i think were huge in the in the uk were still sort of considered a bit indie and like that you know in the u.s so but whatever i mean they, they were pretty big yeah i think i had an interview with you the other day actually where you mentioned coming into this crop of like 90s trip hop yeah yeah <laughs> with a, a friend of yours which you know i definitely went through as well but um i'm intrigued about the impact of friends on our music taste right it sounded like you sure. had this one this one ally with you who was going on this journey were friends yeah. a big part of like formulating your your music taste at this time yeah i mean definitely throughout my life um you know i think you know you get together with friends you listen to music or in that the the thing i referenced with a friend of mine when i was younger i think like high you know so a school high school age probably so like 14 to 18 years old and otherwise i guess i didn't i didn't really i was a very kind of like mainstream kid so a lot of my friends at the time listened to what whatever was on the radio so in the U.S., you know, top 40 pop, hip hop, dance hits, you know, top, like, this is all like circa 2000, so like jock jams, right. things like that. <laughs> I mean, and like, and, and like alternative rock, right? So like yeah. and everything that was big at that time. And then I had one friend who like, yeah, we were, we were a little interested in digging a little bit deeper. And yeah, she was a friend I went to the, to the, to the record store with. And then when I went to university, that was when I was much, I was exposed to a lot, a lot, a lot more music and definitely what my community and friends at the time were listening to when I was in university was hugely influential, which I, I feel like a lot of us who, a lot of people have had that journey, I think maybe. And I was, um, I, you know, I had, I had a couple radio shows throughout my time at university at the college radio station. So it was part of the you know, had a lot of friends through the radio station, went to the radio station parties and things like that, which, um, yeah, which was definitely a huge, had made, played a, played a lot of, um, made a big impression on me. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Again, that transition from going to, from like high school or secondary school, as we call it here, into like college or university, right. you go from putting so much on one or two people who seem to get you yeah. Uh, yeah. and suddenly just, being amongst so many but yeah I, I remember that just you know catching eyes with someone who was like the only other person in my whole school who liked one particular band right felt like really striking gold yeah definitely and I think yeah and you know as, as I think as I got older too I I sort of realized that also you know you you make friends who listen to music across all like many genres and appreciate it for what it is which i think also like just being given the permission to enjoy something very cerebral and also to enjoy pop music is is a little bit eye-opening or or you know you i think as a kid um yeah just just that was there was a, there was a form of self-acceptance that went along with that too and you're kind of given permission to to like a little bit of everything
So, I mean, let's go to your final important record. So, yeah, what have sure. we got? Yeah, so um, I picked an album by K-Swift, and it's Club Queen Volume 3. And to be honest, I mean, I, there was, like, probably a very specific period of time that I listened to this. Like I said, around the same time that um, that the Portishead album came out, so I think 2008, maybe into 2009 as well. But um, So I grew up in Baltimore. I had left for university. I lived in New York very briefly, and then I moved back to Baltimore in my early 20s. Um, and at that time, started to connect with the arts community in Baltimore, I started to play shows, started to go out more. And the Baltimore club scene that now, you know, is really known around the world, mm. um, you know, is, is it's still thriving. It's just at that time was going through this big shift because Kay Swift, who was this amazing DJ and producer, um, she died the summer of 2008. And she was one of the most formative voices of the genre. And I remember reading about, you know, seeing on social media and hearing and reading about her dying and just being, I was so angry at myself that I'd never, I never went to a party actually that she DJed at that point, you know, and of course, like, you know, she, I think she was in her forties, if I'm not mistaken. And, but yeah, I think it was, there was this shift um, in Baltimore where a lot of people, I think also expressed this, like, kind of this, you know, Baltimore Club was kind of closing a chapter. Like at that time, I think a lot of people didn't know what would happen to Baltimore Club without Kay Swift, um, wow. you know, and she was also, um, she was one of the very few women DJ and, you know, DJs and producers of, of Be More Club. So, um, so yeah, her, her death really like shook the scene, shook the genre. Um, and, and of course, you know, things have, have continued to like that, that whole, um, genre has continued to evolve and, and the scene has continued to grow. And, um, but, but also this is like a time, like I said, where Baltimore club was still pretty like regional, um, and then later kind of took off, but yeah, I, I wanted to throw this in there just because of my person, my personal, like really, um, my connection to this place and, where I live, my home, my, my arts community. And not, not that like all the music here is be more club, but obviously there's all kinds of music here, but, um, I was really inspired also by regional club music and just going out, going to parties and yeah. And this is, it's just, uh, be more club is like very, very minimal. A lot of like a, a few of the same, or at least at this time too, is like very, minimal beats and and cut up samples in case with was was also like using vinyl um you know not obviously not everyone's doing that anymore mm. um yeah so yeah i wanted to throw this in to kind of as a, as a little bit of a nod to the place where i i live and and was born and raised and and my my chosen home also um even though I wouldn't say I'm like, I'm not like deeply entrenched in the Be More Club scene, but it, it still is very much um, sonically, you know, inspirational to me and, and, and culture and like largely like in a larger way, like just more culturally inspiring. I mean, this is a long time ago, right? So 14 years yeah. ago, K-Swift passed. So mm -hmm. has this continued? You, you, you mentioned that was a real turning point, right? For Baltimore Club. What happened at that point or at least from your individual standpoint, did its prevalence kind of grow? Has it retracted? Is it still like a really pervasive part of Baltimore culture? 
I mean, I'll, I'll just start by saying I'm definitely not an expert <laughs> and I'm sure that a lot of people have different reactions. Cause like I said, I'm not like deeply entrenched in this, in the scene. Hmm. Um, I do think there was something, I mean, that, like I said, 2008, I don't know when, so she died in 2008. The album I think was a little bit earlier. Um, but you know, this was like this era where the internet as a place where music was being exchanged was still like relatively new. Hmm. Um, obviously, yeah, like we were people, you know, early aughts, there was like Napster and people just downloaded downloading music all the time. I think I downloaded this off of some forward or to caught it, got it from someone. Um, and so I don't think Baltimore club was as like widely recognized as a genre at that time outside of Baltimore. Um, and I think, yeah, Baltimore club still persists, but I do think like now, I mean, in, in part because of the internet, East coast club, so Jersey club, you know, there's like, you could get really specific, like, uh, New Orleans, like bounce music, um, even could be kind of part, kind of a part of this, but East coast club music, while it's still every kind of region has its distinct, um, a distinct sound, um, it's definitely like melded melted together in some ways I, mm. like again not an expert but you hear a lot more uh a lot more music that is just taking from from the various east coast club genres um and i think that's in part because of the internet uh but there's still some like really recognizable beats um and and samples that that are part of that are like characteristic of Baltimore club or characteristic New Orleans bounce or Jersey club. I it's really, I don't know. It's so tough coming out of the pandemic because I've not, and maybe also just being a little bit older. I don't, I don't like, I don't go out <laughs> right. as much as I used to and like stay up as much, but there was a, there was also a big club in Baltimore downtown that shut down a few years ago um, where there was a ton of like, there was always like a be more club room and a house music room. And um, you know, that doesn't exist anymore. The, the paradox rip um, and other. Yeah. So I think it still persists and I'm sure, and there's like plenty of DJs on SoundCloud. Um, I'm sure putting out mixed cloud mixes. There was a really big sort of, you, you know, uh, shot up the sh charts kind of track by dj class like mm. 10 years ago or whatever and i think that that song uh probably put be more club on the map in a way that you know k swift probably never made it to had like had that kind of reach mm. um oh on the ish just a kind of whatever song <laughs> on the right. Right. Um, anyway yeah and there's this whole crew of folks unruly records they're still out there they're doing stuff scotty b i've seen him dj a bunch of times um been to parties uh, but i'm i'm to be totally honest just not as engaged with it as i used to be yeah fair yeah. i'm in intrigued as to why within these you know three three records it felt important for you to have one that represented baltimore or the region what is it about that um, regional representation, I guess, that you consider to be important to you as a an individual and specifically in regards to Baltimore? Sure. Um, uh, I mean, there's definitely, I'm trying to think of maybe not so much in my album that's coming out this year. There's not so much direct references to Baltimore Club, but in the past, I definitely have incorporated 
there's like the symbol craft, the ha sound. I've incorporated that into my into my work. I, I did like a little talk to a university class a few years ago and and played a couple songs live and someone afterward, even though it was a song, I, I played a song with kind of a, an upbeat song, but with Punjabi lyrics. And they were like, yeah, I heard the be more in that. And, and it was like, oh, cool. it, I, yeah, which was very cool for me. And I think it's honestly, I think it happened, has happened for me kind of in a way that is subcon like I'm not even th- realizing it or thinking about it all the time. Um, mm. So yeah, there's definitely a direct cultural reference. There's also just, I don't know, I, it's a small city. A lot of people put Baltimore down. A lot of people think of Baltimore as like an undesirable place to be or to live. And um, I'm just someone, I mean, I, I love my city and I love the community here and I think culturally, Baltimore has a lot going on and a lot to offer. So I really wanted to just try to bring that to light. One more question I had for you, Amy. Yeah. You mentioned at one point about the fact that now, obviously, you can listen to something new every single day. We've talked <laughs> a lot about CDs uh, yeah. quite fondly, I think. <laughs> what does your listening look like now? Like, I don't know, has, has basically the change in the landscape around you, has that changed your listening habits? That's a good question. Um, my listening is like to be totally frank really pathetic i don't listen to that much music it's so pathetic i don't listen to that much music i think a lot of a lot of music for me historic like not historically but i think in the past like or i guess like 10 years ago or so i used to just go not even 10 years ago but as many as like five to, to 10 years ago i used to go to shows all the time at least to go out in baltimore go see live music like four plus nights a week and that to me was really how without that act of being in a live space and experiencing live bands and DJs um, that influenced my work so much. And, and also as someone on tour, I would, I played, I did a lot of DIY touring and played with other bands and have heard so many bands through that practice. Um, so much new music, music that I probably, you know, never heard again, you know? Um, mm. So, so much of my, I think adult years have been informed by live music actually, and now my listening habits are like listening to the trees. <laughs> I found, I don't know. Um, I, I really, well, that's not okay. So what do I do? I listen to like internet radio stations. Nice. Um, you know, I follow artists on Bandcamp. I don't really use Spotify or Apple music very much. Um, unless I really feel like I need to look for something specific that's not on Bandcamp. Um, but I'm, yeah, I'm kind of awful. <laughs> I think a lot, a lot, like what I, sometimes I'm, I'm listening to my own mixes or, you know, stuff people have sent me. Um, but yeah, yeah, I don't know. If yeah. You're, Fair. I'm open to all recommendations of music. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully, oh, yeah. I'm ready for a, 
a listening revolution. So if anybody wants to make Starts any suggestions, now. please do. Amazing. <laughs> well, you heard it here. Okay, Amy, well, thank you so much. It's been <laughs> wicked to talk about your new record, as I say. It's an absolute corker. And then these three albums as well have been a lot of fun, very enlightening for me. So uh, thank you once again. It's been great. Thanks so much, Jack. Appreciate it. To everyone listening, see you next time. Goodbye. Bye.